dismiss um, children and youth in just a second. I just want to, these words, um, I want to be before your eyes. I'm going to get the lyrics wrong because I'm not a song guy. <laughs> but I want to live before your I want to live in your gaze. Um, Ignatius and other Christian mystics um, who, um, in, in large part, in certain, in their day, um, transformed or brought things back into the heart of prayer. Um, they would encourage that uh, that before you begin any prayer, you should pause and center long enough until you feel like his gaze is upon you. Now, his gaze is always upon you, right? And that's their words. That Those words come from the mystics, um, like Ignatius and others. And... Uh, and so I put that out there, and while purposely, while youth are still in here, and and, and everyone's still in here, because I want to challenge. It was just on my heart during. That's one of my favorite songs. That always makes me just fall into the heart of the Father. That song. It's the prayer of my heart. And so when you put it to music, it's just like I'm there, right? Um, I want to put this out there. Um, should you choose to accept, I encourage you this week. As you have your conversations with God, your, your prayers, in other words, try that if that's not something you do. Um, consider it a spiritual exercise, right? Something that will position you. Just try it. Just pause long enough. It may be three seconds. Sometimes, depending on what's going on in my life, I might sit there for a half an hour before I'm willing to start spewing my freshly fleshly words <laughs> and just wait until you're certain that the gaze of God is upon you and you can sense that and then have your conversation with him um, try that out if you want to are you are you in he okay father <laughs> we just ask blessing on on all of our youth from youngest to oldest including the big kids who are going to stay in here us, your sons and daughters, and we bless their leaders with fresh anointing for this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. And Father, we pray over this morning while we're here, we ask that... Um, What do we ask? We ask that you would um, tear down walls, tear down uh, barriers in our heart that keep us from falling deeper in love and keep us from having um, greater and greater measures of your anointing upon us. Will you strip away what's in the way? I thank you, Father, that you, you are the God who does not withhold. And uh, it is never your limitation. So I ask you, Lord, to take away our barriers and our limitations, even as we look at your example, Jesus of anointing. Will you bless each of us and this body with greater and greater measures of anointing in your name? Jesus, the only name. Amen. All right, you guys ready? Part two of many parts. <laughs> Anointing. We're going into that territory. Um, 
you know, and I didn't know how far I would get last week, so we're going to pick up right there. But then the Lord really surprised me. He puts something heavy on my heart that we're going to go into this morning. And I want to, before we even start, I want to tell you what it is. Um, when you look at Christian history, and when I say that, I'm, I'm even talking about the pages of Scripture, but right on into the continuation, Jesus is still active, and we look at Christian history. All revivals start with repentance, and if you don't prefer the, rev the word revival, you know, you know, I don't care. There's been lots of evil and dark things done in the name of revival. So let's just say every great move of God that leaves a people in greater anointing to express the heart of the Father, every genuine one started with repentance and resulted in the fruit of greater anointing. Lasting fruit of greater anointing. He's been doing it ever since Pentecost and throughout the book of Acts and right into Christian history. And he's still doing it today. Just let me declare to you, we also are on a journey of discipleship, which means we're on a journey into greater anointing. Is that right? That's what we're doing here. Um, so um, put any word you want on it, but if, if we're not hungering for for the move of the Spirit in this place unto greater anointing for greater fruit, then we're not doing discipleship. We're doing something else. Because that was Jesus' goal of discipleship with every disciple. Amen? That's what we're doing. So I want to look at Jesus. I told you last week, Jesus modeled the anointed life. And, and I almost hate saying it that way because modeled, it just doesn't do justice to it. He was, you know, discipleship, and we've talked about this, is not getting to know things that, that their rabbi knew. It wasn't trying to become as smart as them or something like that. They, that's our model of teaching kind of in, in, modern, um, <laughs> in modern culture, okay? Post-scientific revolution culture. They were trying to become like their rabbi. Sure, they wanted to know what he knew and everything, but ultimately, really, they wanted to live exactly like the rabbi did. That's discipleship. And that's what we're doing with Jesus. Now, um, I'm going to say something that's going to make someone out there, or many someones, think that I'm about to speak a, a heresy. But I'm going to prove it in the scripture, so, so keep your seatbelt on. Did you know that Jesus needed anointing? We talked last week that he laid down the script. The word of God literally tells us he emptied himself of the divine attributes. Um, so now let's get this straight. We're going to read it in a minute. You know, Jesus was baptized. Now let's get something straight. Did you know that's, that's talking baptism with water, which generally is, is the baptism of repentance, right? And did he need to be cleansed? It's a kind of a trick question. I'll warn you. Did, huh? Not of sin. He didn't need to be cleansed of things, but did he need to be baptized? Why? To fulfill prophecy? That's good. And But let's go here. That's awesome. Why did, why did prophecy say he would need to do that? Why was that the plan of the Father? Example. You see, what the Word of God makes clear is that Jesus laid it down so that he would be someone we could follow. 
He's a rabbi where we could live exactly like he did. You see, if he didn't, if he didn't come under the obedience of the Father and do it the way you're called to do it, then everything he calls over our life would be preposterous. <laughs> but he was a man who laid it down, he lived by the Spirit, and he went through every obedience that he calls you to. He was baptized with a water baptism of cleansing that, in essence, he was sinless. He had nothing he needed to be washed of, and yet he submitted himself in submission under the man John the Baptist in obedience to his father to, to do something that you could follow. And I'm going to show you now that that was also his anointing. So turn to Matthew, Matthew chapter 3 with me. I'm going to start in verse 13, and this is Jesus. You know this is Jesus' baptism, right? Verse 13, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. I'll slow down let you turn your pages. <laughs> Be baptized by him. Verse 14, and John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you and are you coming to me? Now, is John kind of right in his sentiment? Yeah, yeah I, think, I think he is. But now listen, verse 15, but Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. What's righteousness? We get this all wrong. It's the freedom of obedience. That's righteousness. It's the freedom to obey the Father is righteousness. Now, so this is an act of obedience. I'm going to prove, prove it before we're done here. And it says, Then he, speaking of John the Baptist, allowed him to be baptized by him. You see? So why they do it? Permit it to be so now because I have to fulfill this because it's obedience to my Father. It's not because I need to be cleansed by anything. But now watch this. Just Do we need to be cleansed by stuff? <laughs> okay. All right. Good. Right answer. Verse 16. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Now watch this. This, where it says the heavens were opened, <laughs> it's, it's horrible it's translated that way. You know, this is the same word um, to, to rip or to rent open. It's, it's an extremely violent word. And it's the same word that is used for the ripping of the curtain when Jesus breathes his last breath and the Holy Spirit comes out of the Holy of Holies and hovers over the earth looking for a place to fill again, to bring the fullness of God. It's that same word. It's also the same word referred to when the, if we don't praise, the rocks will split open. It's a violent renting. So we're talking about the barrier or the, the film, if you will, between two realms, between the heavens, the spiritual realm, and the earthly realm were violently ripped open. And the Holy Spirit of God came down upon Jesus. In the Gospel of, it's, in the Gospel of John, it says, the Holy Spirit came upon and remained. That's anointing. 
And I'm going to prove it in a minute. If you're kind of going, well, I don't know. Is that, is that Jesus' anointing? Just let that go for a minute because I'm going to prove it. But that's anointing. Now, here's what I've got to say. Do you know that the scriptures also record things of Jesus' life previous to this moment? You know that. It tells us about his birth. We just celebrated Christmas. It tells us that he lived a pretty normal life. He grew, he grew in wisdom and stature. He grew in favor with men. Just participating in a normal Jewish Hebrew boy's life of that time, right? Now listen to me. You will not find anything in the scripture that says that previous to this moment, he went around doing what the father does or is doing or go around saying what the father is saying. Previous to this time, you don't see him healing the sick, breaking demonic bondage, opening blind eyes, um, releasing the favor of the kingdom of God upon people. All the things that you read in the Gospels, he doesn't do any of those things prior to this point. He does not reveal the Father's heart that way prior to this moment. This is his ministry anointing. <laughs> In other words, what? But now we've got to address this. Was the Spirit of God not with him before that? He surely was. Do you know it's impossible to escape the Spirit of God? <laughs> Thank you. Um, the, the heathen life that I lived, the very great darkness upon me during most of my life, the Spirit of God, I was never without the Spirit of God. You wouldn't have breath in your lung without the Spirit of God. So what? So this is his ministry anointing. We know for sure that there's a shift. Now, I'm just briefly, because I've got to get to the thing I'm really going to say this morning, but I'm going to tell you what happens next, something I mentioned last week. He immediately goes to the desert to be tempted. Why? The enemy needed to immediately rush in and try to steal that ministry anointing. You got it? It's the last stitch effort. Those are the three ways that our anointing is stolen. Now, I've got to focus on these words because it leads us where we're going. I'm back at verse 17 in Matthew 3. And it says, And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Notice he gets the I'm well pleased words before he does anything. <laughs> But I want to tell you what I'm going to show you this morning is that that's anointing. Now, I could just stand here and say repentance is the door to walking into greater anointing. Here's the problem. If I left it at that, I'm fairly convinced that almost every single one of us would walk out of here with a crippling misconception. We need to look at what, you know, most of us for most of our lives have been taught a false idea about what repentance is and how it works in the kingdom. And if it's the door, we had better, if it's the opening of greater anointing upon our life so that we're capable of revealing the Father's heart, we better know what repentance is. And first of all, we better start with, do you know that you're not capable of repenting? Repentance is not a fleshly act of your will. <laughs> your flesh is not capable of repenting. I'm going to show you how it works. 
from the words of God. Okay, but let's keep following Jesus. What does he do next right after the wilderness, right after he conquers the enemy's attempt to steal the anointing? He marches into the synagogue. Go to Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. I want to show you this. Just in case anyone is still thinking, was the Lord anointed? He needed anointing? Did he empty himself that much? Yes, yes, he did. (laughs) Chapter 4, verse 16. This is immediately after the wilderness. So he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. So just in case there would be any naysayer or any theologian who wants to argue about how human Jesus became for us, there it is. Jesus made sure that we wouldn't be able to do that. He made sure he said with his own mouth, declared it in his own synagogue. Do you know how that works? Do you know in the synagogue they would have had a scroll? What this necessarily means is this was the day that they would read that scripture. And he stood to read on his turn. <laughs> and then we won't go into it today. You know, it, later it says he went and sat. He, sat. he went and sat down and all the eyes were fixed on him. Most scholars are fairly certain the synagogues had the seat of Moses that, that nobody sat in because that was for the coming Messiah. No, I mean, you didn't just sit in the seat of Moses in the middle up front. It stayed empty. And Jesus went and sat in that seat. And so their jaws were open and their eyes were upon him over what had just happened. And listen, in verse 21, it says, and he began to say to them, actually, why don't I read it? It's right there. Let's start verse 20. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. He sat down, all right. Where else do you see that? He sat down at the father's right hand when he accomplished all the work. Here it says he sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. I bet they were. In verse 21, and he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now watch this. It doesn't say um, this this was always true about me. It says today this is fulfilled. He's letting them know. That's language in in their time for this is is a new day where the anointing is now fulfilled upon me. And you see him after this immediately go out and begin to manifest the kingdom of God with power and authority. You cannot reveal the kingdom of God to people without anointing, without power and authority. And I'm going to prove it today as we move through um, what anointing is and how repentance gets us there. Now, I want you to go with me. Now we're getting into the real stuff. Was the introduction good? Okay, Matthew 5 and verse 43. Okay, here he says, And you have heard it said, heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you Listen, why would you do those things? That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. 
For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Verse 48, now listen here. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Who just got really uncomfortable? (laughs) How, How many of you noticed before we even got to that last line that basically what we were reading are all kinds of things that are impossible for you? They're impossible to your flesh. The sin nature doesn't allow that to be possible. Now I want to tell you about this last line. Therefore you shall be perfect. Perfect is a terrible translation. Um... It's okay to say that your Father in heaven is perfect, okay? But the real, the real word, what that means is, is therefore you shall be complete. So it should really, it's better to, to read this. Therefore you shall be complete just as your Father in heaven is complete. Now listen, how is your Father in heaven complete? He needs nothing. He lacks nothing. And I would take us deeper. I'd take us a step further. Why? Why does he need nothing? Why does he lack nothing? Okay, I love it. I love it. Those are great answers. I'm going to go deeper. It's because he's, he is love. Okay, now let me tell you something. Completeness, I'm going to prove it with more scriptures, but just, just listen for a moment completeness is love. That's what makes it so that you lack nothing. You got it? Total assurance of love relieves all selfish ambition, all anxiety over what you don't have. It is what makes it so you lack nothing. I'm going to prove it. And this says, therefore, you shall be complete just as your Father in heaven is complete. Now keep tracking with me. Keep walking this road. If you're, if you're scratching your head, just keep going. Go skip to Matthew 19, verse 16. Jesus, you know this one. Jesus has the conversation with the young ruler. Here in verse 16, it says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And so Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. But if you, in other words, it's impossible to be good except that you're, you're God or you get the attributes of God. You got it? But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Do you notice what he's saying is, is if you want the entry, if you want to enter in, he didn't say the fullness yet, did he? Okay, it's the entry. And he said to him, Um, Which ones? In other words, which commandments? And Jesus starts listing off, you know, give me the checkbox. I I need the sheet. Give me a pencil. And the checkboxes down the side. Give me good religion. And, And, you know, Jesus provides it for him. That's what's crazy. Watch this. Jesus says, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal or bear false witness. And then he says, and then the do's, those are the don't do's. Now he, he gives the do's. How many of you need do's and don't do's on your chest list before you're really feeling good about yourself? <laughs> he gives the do's, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these things I've kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Now watch this. Watch Jesus' answer. Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, 
It's a bad translation again. It's the same word. If you want to be complete, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Watch this. Why, how does that connect to what we're talking about already? In other words, Jesus said, you want to be complete? You want to be completed by the Father's love? Then you have to quit being loved by other things. You have to quit getting those needs met by other things that are not my Father. I mean, is it necessary for this guy not to have earthly wealth and treasures? Really? No, that's not the problem. We know the next verse tells us he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. In other words, he had great fulfillment from other things. It wasn't, why would you be sorrowful? He was just invited into being perfect, into love. <laughs> he was given the answer, let these things go. Now I'm going to do one more thing, and it's leading us somewhere. Go to James Chapter 1, I'm going to start, um, I'm not sure why I started in verse 2, but I am. Verse 2. James is a book written to, um, to people who were in great trying times. Great trials, persecution, troubles. The last passage, I would say, he was talking to a young ruler who, who was actually living pretty comfy. This is sort of the opposite, and we're going to see the same thing. This is in a time of trials. and So verse 2 goes, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Oh, thank you. That sounds like a blast. <laughs> but why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect, or same word, have its complete work. That <laughs> Listen how this is worded. I'm just going to read straight through now. Verse 4. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It really should probably be translated, but let patience have its complete work, that you may be complete and whole, lacking nothing. I'm going to show you. Why do I say that? Do you know that the word perfect should probably be translated complete, and the word complete should probably be translated whole? It's the, it's the word, um, I'm always bad at the pronunciation, so, so just bear with me, but um, olokleros, olokleros, and it means complete in every part, perfectly sound in mind and body, whole. It's the definition of health. <laughs> that's produced by patience. But now watch this, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. And it will be given to him. There's a promise for you. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now watch this. Why am I going to all this trouble? It's because we're going to correct lifetimes, I'm certain of it, lifetimes of false teaching about repentance. And if repentance is the door to walking into greater anointing, we need to have a good understanding, don't we? So now watch this. Go, go to Ephesians, and, and here's, here's the, the jewel. Ephesians chapter 3, and I'm going to start in verse 14. Now listen, um, 
Here's a, here's a second assignment, if you want it. Just go read Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 after hearing this message. Because now we're, we're like flipping again. We go from James, I've gone back to Ephesians, and this is Paul writing to the church of Ephesus. And if anything, the church of Ephesus was the church that really kind of had it, man. This was the church that was walking in such great anointing. They were walking in great power and authority. Now, you get to chapter 4, and he begins to do some house cleaning. He begins to sweep up some things that are quenching anointing and things that they need to know. But for the most part, if you want to know how you win the lottery in Jesus Christ, Paul is writing to Ephesians in the first three chapters, and he's describing all the wealth of the kingdom. Now, here's what's crazy about it and why I'm given that big introduction. He's about to tell the church of Ephesus how to walk into greater anointing, even though they're kind of the New Testament example of a church that has incredible and great anointing upon it. In other words, what, just, just right there alone, what does that tell us? There's always more. There's always more, Lord, more, Lord. And the truth is you see that in the parables. This is not the first place you see this truth of the kingdom. How parables say um, those who've been given and produce fruit from it, more will be given. And and those who walk further and further into greater anointing and then more will be given. You got it? And those, like other churches or churches you read about in in the book of Revelations, and um, I'm convinced we're already living in some of that, in Christian culture, that where there's no fruit production, there's no appointment, there's really no revelation in reality of the Father's heart, what you have will be taken. And it's also true in our individual lives. So, but, so with that introduction, watch this. He's writing to this church that has great anointing, and I am just convinced to the bottom of my spirit that this is the key of how you walk into more. Who in here wants more? Right, almost everybody. We'll pray for the rest of you. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Here it says, For this reason, for the reason of all that wealth. These are the directions into anointing. No. (laughs) Continue on 24 South. Ephesians 14, so for this reason, he's about to say, for this reason, this is my prayer for you, okay? He says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now, I have to stop and tell you something. This is, this is right back to, I'm telling you, we're reading about anointing. And with Jesus' anointing, what was immediately the very first thing that happened? The Father says, this is my beloved Son, Wilderness, yes, but I mean, even before that, I mean, instantly, the dove comes upon him, and then the voice of the Father breaks out. The the anointing is an anointing of identity, just like it is for you. It's an anointing of, you are the beloved son, You, you are, and you are pleasing to me. Exactly like that. Now, here he's praying, and he says, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. In other words, it's, it's, it's identity statement. It's uh, anointing begins on identity of son. 
It's, yes, anointing has everything to do with authority and power to manifest the kingdom of God so that people see the heart of the Father. Of course it does. But, but in a sense, I want to go, it has nothing to do with that. It has, anointing has everything to do with, with your identity being revealed to you. The, the love of the Father being revealed to you. You got it? That's what it's saying here. From whom the whole family and heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Doesn't that connect back to um, 1 um, John chapter 2 that we read last week? The anointing that is the assurance that he may dwell in your hearts through, through faith. The abiding anointing that makes it so that you're untouchable by spirit of Antichrist, right? Okay, and it says that you, now listen, being rooted and grounded in love. What is your root? The Father's love. Jesus, that was the right answer. <laughs> Jesus, who makes the Father's love available spiritually, physically, in reality, okay? But let me keep reading. Being rooted and grounded in love, verse 18, may be able to comprehend, I'm going to tell you what that means in a minute, with all the saints, what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. So I'm going to keep reading there, so keep your finger there. But listen to me. In other words, Paul is writing to perhaps the most anointed church. And he's saying, do you want more? And he's, and he's really going, I'm going to show you how to increase, tap into more of the wealth that you already have, but you're not operating in. I'm going to give you more, more, more. The Lord wants to give you more, more, more. And how does that happen? It's, it, there's only one vehicle. It's a revelation of the Father's love. If you're skeptical, skeptical, watch this. What does it say next? That you, in other words, all of this, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. <laughs> she would like some. That you may be filled with all the fullness. How much of God are you made for? All the fullness. Meditate on that for a while. But what's the vehicle? Now we've come full circle to repentance. Now watch this. I know what you've been taught. You've been taught that repentance is a fleshly act of the will. <laughs> I want to tell you something. I've never seen someone have any genuine re repentance that was lasting over their life because someone pointed out their sins or told them they needed to repent. There's only one way genuine repentance happens, and it's a revelation of the Father's love. Why is repentance the door? And how can we say that repentance is the door to the life of anointing that you're made for? It's because revelation of the Father's love is, is the door to the anointed life that you're made for. Are you following me? Real, re do you know what repentance is? Um, let's do something. I made up some great notes for myself here. Actually, right here. Do you know what repentance is not? It is not remorse or feeling bad about your sins or failures. It might be helpful. 
<laughs> to get you. It's amazing how miserable God has to make us sometimes to turn toward him. <laughs> it doesn't have to be that way, but it's often required. It was for me. I had to get really miserable. I had to feel really bad about how I am in comparison to him. But I want to tell you something. The remorse over sin, the remorse over failure, the remorse over, over what we needed to do that we didn't do is not repentance. How many of you know that a, that a perfectly, we are so good at beating ourselves up, shaming and guilting ourselves. Do you know that any typical heathen, they, including me, <laughs> um, we, are, we are perfectly capable of condemning ourselves, of feeling horrible about everything without any help from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> do you know that that's true? And do you know that as long as we sit there, that's not repentance? And repentance is not the fleshly act of deciding not to sin in the future. Do you know that you're not capable of deciding not to sin in the future? How many of you had that? Um, scriptures talks about the besetting sin. You all know what that is? The one where you're like, man, I just can never, I never beat this thing. Right? I'll tell you why it's never beaten. It's because of what you've been taught. You've been taught that repentance is something you're capable of <laughs> and you could decide not to sin in the future. You could decide not to do that anymore as if you decided in the first place to do it. It was your sin nature. It was your brokenness. It was your complete incapability of being righteous ever before. Do you got it? You were never capable. The word of God never paints a picture that says you were born without sin nature or capable of not screwing it up like that. So what is repentance? If it's the door to anointing, we'd better know. <laughs> because it's not, let, let me tell you something else it's not. Repentance is not what you did when you came to Jesus. Well, let me try that again. You did do it, but it's a daily thing. It's not something you like one and done. Well, like, well, I came to Jesus. I'm good. It's, it's a continuous thing. Repenting means turning toward God. That's all it means. Turning towards God. The, the root words of the English word re and pent, it means returning to the highest place. It doesn't have anything to do with feeling really, really bad about yourself or fooling yourself into thinking your flesh is strong enough not to do that anymore. <laughs> it's submitting that, this. If I could pick myself up, I would as an illustration. It's submitting this to the Father. Repentance is turning to him. Now listen to me. Genuine repentance, biblically, just think about everybody you've ever known, including yourself, and you'll know that what I'm about to say is true. Real repentance, genuine repentance that turns one to God and opens the door to anointing is only inspired one way, and it's the revelation of the Father, the revelation of the Father's heart. It will take what is impossible, your inability to repent, to change, to do anything different, and it not only makes it possible, it makes it mandatory. 
There is nothing more awe-inspiring to a human being than a revelation of the Father's love. It will make it so that you don't have any choice but to fall on your knees and turn every bit of your ugliness to him. It's the only real repentance. Repentance is turning. Do you know that without revelation of the Father's love, you would be a fool to turn to him? It's kind of like an abuser who's abused by somebody and keeps turning back to the abuser for the help they need. It's an actual pattern in human nature in the counseling world. Well, that's not the case with your father. You'd be a fool to turn to him without revelation of the father's love. Now, I want to tell you something. The awareness, and I'm going to read this again. It's in the scripture we just read. Um, if you need the proof, we're going to read that again. But the revel to the measure that you have revelation of the Father's love for you, that is the measure that you are open, that you have become a vessel of the Holy Spirit ready for that measure of anointing. Give me a nod if what I just said makes sense. It is to the measure that you have revelation of the Father's love over you that you are capable of receiving the anointing. Because the anointing, Jesus was anointed. The Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. To the measure that you can receive the words of God, not just the words, but the words of his love, the actual revelation of the Father's love. It's why Paul, go back to, um, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. I think it's chapter 2. No, chapter 1, about verse 17. This is another prayer. This is a, this is a prayer before he does the real prayer, before he does the prayer. <laughs> he's squirting here. He, <laughs> he's full of it when he's writing this, full of the Holy Spirit and, and anointing. And here he's, verse 17, he says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. What's Paul's prayer? That you'd have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in what? In the knowledge of him. Did he pray? Whoa, they really need to know. They need to have a revelation on how sinful they are. You need, you need wisdom and revelation to know how sinful and broken you are. He prayed that you'd have revelation of the knowledge of him. Why? He goes on and says, 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Enlightened to what? Anointing. Everything I'm about to read next is the anointing, is the coming upon and the remaining of the Holy Spirit, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. How do you know that? It's the revelation of the Father's love. What is the hope of his God? What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? What is that? It's a revelation of the Father's love. <laughs> and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? What is that? It's revelation of the Father's love. You see that in this next prayer. What does he pray? I'm going to go back to this 
Um, and I'm, I'm going to begin wrapping here, but I'm going to go back to this verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, what? Being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend. That means, um, that doesn't just mean comprehend. That means um, absorb fully, like it becomes part of you. So what does that say? So may be able to have this next thing become part of me, be completely absorbed in my soul spirit with all the saints. What is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge? Why? That so that you may be filled with all the fullness. 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 <laughs> A little louder each time. Let's try that. Fullness. <laughs> you see, to the measure of revelation of the Father's love that you have, that's the measure of anointing you're capable of. You see it all the time. The, those who have the greatest anointing of healing, or for, for healing, are who? Those who've been healed. <laughs> Those whose lives have been dramatically changed. What did Jesus do? Jesus, you know, it's all about glorifying him, right? And what would he do? He would heal people or set them free from demonic bondage or open their blind eyes and he would say, don't go, make, make sure you don't go tell anybody. What would they do? They would go tell everybody. What is that? That's transformation in, the, in a creature. And did they, did they transform that way because by a fleshly act of their will, they went out and said, I am going to go glorify God. <laughs> no, they were transformed by a revelation. Jesus, as Paul says, Jesus didn't go with eloquent words like I'm doing right now. He didn't go out and say, he didn't, he didn't display the heart of the Father that way. He, and neither did Jesus. Jesus went and told about the kingdom, but he manifested the goodness of the Father's heart, and that caused people to repent. You never saw Jesus going around telling people, repent, repent. John the Baptist did. Why? It's a baptism of repentance, and the Spirit had not yet been given. At that point, the option they had was to, by the best of their flesh, <laughs> to give it a go. And if there's anything that the Old Testament teaches us, in fact, the Word of God in Hebrews tells us that the entire purpose of the Old Testament was to prove that your flesh is not capable of being righteous or witnessing of the Father or manifesting the kingdom. It's the entire purpose of the Old Testament. The purpose of the law was to prove that law can't save you. It can't transform you. It will not allow anointing in your life. The only thing that allows anointing in your life is revelation of the Father's love. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I used to spend a lot of time begging for more anointing as a younger man. I'd wake up in the morning and just, Lord, grant me greater measure of your Holy Spirit. This life I'm living feels utterly useless. And believe me, it was. <laughs> Don't make me stand here and convince you. And I, I, I prayed for that. And you know what? I, when the Lord revealed what I'm talking about this morning to me, it changed my prayers. I, I started waking up in the morning and saying, Lord, blow me, will you blow me away 
with your love for me today? Because I need more repentance. And I've learned that in my flesh, I'm not capable of turning to you any more than I'm already turned to you. I would say, blow me away today. Father, please blow me away. Manifest physical, physical love to me. And in, in my spirit, just blow me away. Give me greater revelation of your love for me. And in that is the, is the way that we walk as his sons and daughters into greater anointing. And that's the only way you're going to invite others into it. You go around telling people they need to repent, you will be driving people away from God. It's the spirit of the Pharisee. The spirit of Jesus goes around telling people, you do not understand how much the Father loves you. And even more than that, given that we have anointing, we then manifest it for them. We're called to be manifestors of the Father's heart. You operate in the kingdom like that, and people will not be able to not fall on their knees and turn to him. That's cool. That would be cool. That is cool. Father, we're asking for greater and greater, greater measure of anointing on this place. And so therefore, we're asking you to bring a great spirit of repentance upon this body. We need to be more and more turned to you. And so our real prayer, Jesus, is blow us away with the Father's love. Will you make us fall on our knees in ridiculous awareness of how extravagant your love is, Father? Thank you, Jesus. Will the worship team come up? And um, where's Joe? I'm looking, I'm looking. He's getting it ready. We are going to have the Lord's Supper this morning. Give me just a moment to um, I want to ask the Lord and see if he'll impress what he wants to do here. You guys can go ahead and start distributing. I'm just going to pray for a moment. It's, uh, you all know very well, it's the Lord's Supper where we remember how he was broke, so we're whole. You know what that is? He was broke so that we could take on completeness, healing, wholeness. By his stripes we're healed. He spilled blood for our healing, for the healing of our spirit, of our soul, of our families, our, our marriages, our, our children. <laughs> Everything we touch is invited into completeness as he's complete. Jesus is what broke the barrier so that we could have ever-increasing completeness. And he plans to make it complete. You know, you got a perfect body coming. And I, I just, you know, we're just going to let, we're going to have the worship 
team um, just continue to provide this. And as you take the Lord's Supper, I'm, I'm going to have you do it whenever you're ready, okay? We won't necessarily do this as a group because here's, here's what um, is on my heart. If you gained new understanding of, how, of what repentance is and what Jesus provided and how it works in the kingdom of God this morning, I just invite you, just take a moment with his brokenness and his spilled blood. Take a moment and just meditate. Just ask him to deepen your understanding of the turning toward him that you have this morning. And ask him to blow you away bring you something of the Father's love, because I'm going to tell you something, greater turning, as we've talked about, is only coming in greater measure of revelation of how the Father is crazy about you. And when you're ready, whenever you're ready, go ahead and partake. to 
Okay, I feel like there, there are people here. It may be, may be viewers at home. It may be people that are here this morning. I feel like the Lord wants to, um, I believe these are the walls we prayed about when we started this morning. He wants to tear down walls. Um, there are some who have been battered by false teaching about repentance. And it's been hindering. It's kept you from falling completely in, uh, into the Father's love so that you can have the real repentance, the real turning that you're compelled to do that you can't not do. You've been working hard to live a life of repentance, and he always said from the very beginning, his yoke is easy. That was spiritual abuse, and he wants you to know it. And I just want to give opportunity. Is there, is there anyone in here? Just, um, just, just raise your hand quickly. Gotcha. Gotcha. You've been spiritually abused. His yoke is easy. He has nothing but delight. From the very beginning, in the name of Jesus, he said, you're my daughter, and in you I'm well pleased. And repentance is just turning to him. Repentance is just saying, not I give you the best of me, but I know that you accept me with the worst. I offer you the worst of me as an offering. And Father, right here, I just declare in the name of Jesus over this one. Anyone else? Raise your hand. Go ahead. Anyone else? I declare in the name of Jesus healing. Be healed in the name of Jesus. He wants to touch those places. He wants you to know the truth about how he feels about you. You are his delight. He has anointing for you. He's got anointing for you. Be free in the name of Jesus. Amen. This abuse is no longer going to hinder your anointing. In the name of Jesus, you are free to walk forward in ever-increasing anointing. That's his plan for every disciple. And it's as much for you as it is for anybody. Receive that in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And that goes for any viewer, any listener. You just participated in that. You just need to open your heart. Repentance is saying, Father, here's the worst of me. Because the revelation of your love makes you a safe place to bring it. <laughs> Do you know the Father is the only real safe place for how ugly you are? <laughs> because he's not going to be convinced or swayed from how beautiful and delightful he thinks you are. And it's the door. It's the door to a greater anointed life. Father, we just ask that you seal the work of this morning, that um, every seed that's been planted in these hearts um, will not be stolen by the enemy in the name of Jesus. We ask for fertile ground and that you'd water it. We trust that you'll water it, Father. You're always pursuing. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just seal this work. This cannot be undone. And we claim it. 
your promises. We are moving from glory to glory to glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.